Hello and welcome everyone. I am Jake Wurzak and this is Masters of Moments. This podcast features conversations with the top entrepreneurs and business leaders around hospitality, real estate, investing, and company building. We explore the ideas, strategies, and approaches that brought them to where they are today. Hear the insights, behind the scenes secrets, and methods you can't find anywhere else. This podcast is for you if you are a seasoned investor, an upstart entrepreneur, or someone looking to break into the real estate and hospitality investing world. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at jwerzak on Twitter. And if you have enjoyed this show, I'd be incredibly grateful if you followed us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. We record on video, so you can always find all of our episodes on YouTube and be sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for joining me and enjoy the show. My conversation today is with Chris Frampton of East West Partners. This was such a cool conversation because he's developed so many resort and urban resort properties that you will all know some of my favorites in Aspen, in ski towns. They are based in Denver. They are an amazing institutional developer. They've worked with some of the largest capital partners. We talk about how Chris and the team at East West Partners finds their deals how their acquisition process works, how they set up in different offices to ensure that everyone lives where they work to enhance their development flow. We talk about the difference between condos and hotels and how to make a condo hotel work. We talk about large-scale resort development, how they manage risk at East West Partners, and how they figured out to develop billions of dollars through multiple real estate cycles. This is such a fun chat. Please enjoy my conversation today with Chris Frampton. So I thought a good place to start today, Chris, would be how you got your start in real estate. Because I know your dad is involved in East West, your family's been involved in real estate. How did you get your start in real estate? And how did you know you even wanted to get into this business, which we all love? Look, I mean, I I got into real estate the old-fashioned way. I, as you just said, I work for my dad, did. I don't need more. We've transitioned some, but I'm more of his partner now. But yeah, I, I had gone to college for English and had been very serious about journalism, worked at the school newspaper, you know, hung out there all the time, writing horrible editorials when I look back on them. I really thought I was funny. I was not. But I... I really thought I wanted to be a journalist, had some really cool summer internship opportunities, including working for the Wall Street Journal in DC, and just sort of got a taste that it wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I sort of had seen the cool parts, and that was fun. So when I graduated from college, I, I went to Davidson down in North Carolina, and, and, and when I graduated, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but the guys at Trimble Crow Residential were nice enough to hire me and a kind of... It was supposed to be a two-year program where I did like six months in leasing and six months in construction management and six months in underwriting and six months in building maintenance. I did about four months in building maintenance and and became pretty clear I wasn't terrible at modeling stuff. And, you know, it's real estate. So they had three people in the office and I could work Excel. So all of a sudden I was making Excel spreadsheets. And, you know, back in those days, it was pretty simple. But, you know, to do to do underwriting of apartment deals, and I did that for about a year in Charlotte, which was great. It was an awesome experience. And, and I worked for a great 
guy named Jim Simpson, who would later go to Wood Partners. And Jim was amazing. He ran that market. I learned a lot from him. He he did two things that were really funny. One is he would not let me order cheese on a cheeseburger when he would take <laughs> me to lunch at the McDonald's or Wendy's. It was Wendy's next door to our office because he said, you can't taste the cheese and it's not worth the 35 cents, which is such a great apartment business Love it. You know, model. And then the um, second thing that he did, which was very kind, is that I realized that I was in love with my then girlfriend, now wife. She had gotten a job in New York. And Jim gave me very clear direction to go, go to New York and, and uh, you know, follow your girlfriend. So I did. I got a job at uh, Merrill Lynch as an investment banker, as an analyst, and really an ideal job. I think by then I knew I had a bit of a, I knew I had a taste for real estate. I really enjoyed it. And so I uh, got to New York. I wasn't the world's greatest investment banking analyst by any means. I, I had a pretty, I don't know, quiet career as an investment banker. But I did it for four years and and it was an awesome experience because I I got to see hands, right? We we underwrote projects all day. I learned and thought a lot about things from a strategic level because we were interacting with the C-suites of these public companies and private companies doing all kinds of things that I can sort of say the words now, but I didn't really even know what they were then. You know, we, we would be doing a private company add-on, sure. You know, I, I type type the model like this, you know, make it run through, find the assumptions, back them up, build the Argus model, you know, that kind of stuff. But really found out that I loved real estate. I um, went to grad school at Columbia and got my master's in real estate development, which was a really cool move, Jake. And, and I swear I won't only make fun of myself, but I was a pretty bad student in undergrad. And at the time to get into that program, there were 33 applicants. I think that's the right number. And 33 people were accepted. So I have a master's from Columbia. <laughs> if you want to get into that program now, it's a whole different ballgame. So pretty smooth early days, but it was great. I had great professors and and uh, really enjoyed the program and a nice chance to go back to school and take it seriously. So I did do another year of investment banking after that. And then you know, talked to my dad and just sort of said, look, I, I don't want to be an investment banker. He had a very good piece of advice, which which really was twofold. One was you need to sell real estate. And I think it's probably one of the best piece of advice I've ever gotten because I real estate projects don't work if you don't sell, don't lease, don't book a room. And oftentimes in our industry, people kind of think it's the pro forma, it's the market, but it's not. It's it's the selling of the of the uh, to the end user. And so, and then the second thing he wanted for me was to learn to eat what I kill. So I took a hundred percent commission job in Georgetown, Texas, which is about Where's a half that? hour North. It's about a half hour North of Austin. Okay. Um, selling lots with a company called IMI who still go in, uh, we had six double wide trailers that had been attached together in a cool live Oak out back with some grills, me and six grizzlied on-site salespeople sitting in a trailer, hoping people would walk in to buy Jack Nicholas' signature golf course lots. The project didn't work, unfortunately, but I, I learned a ton. I was there about a year and a half. And then Mark Smith, who is one of my dad's partners in the founding of East West and his partner in our brokerage firm, Slifer Smith and Frampton, which you may know, Mark was here in Denver, needed a new sales manager and told my dad he was going to hire me. So I, I really don't think that was my dad's decision. I really think it was Mark's, but he did. And I, so I came to Denver. So that was about 21 years ago. Ran sales for a while in Denver, then got promoted to run the market, which for us at our company is a big deal. And then about five years ago, moved into the CEO role of our development company. 
And when you first started with East West, what were they doing at that time? Uh, let me say two things. I mean, first of all, East West in a lot of ways is really a family of companies. It's three companies. So there's East West Partners, which is the development company. And that is my job and role. There's about 80 of us, 75 to 80 of us, depending on how you count, that are doing development across the country. We then have Slifer Smith and Frampton, which is our real estate brokerage, depending on the year by volume, will be number one or number two in Colorado and part of the Forbes group and really, really an awesome group run by a guy named Jason Cole. And then we have East West Hospitality, which is our property management, retail manager and hotel manager. And it's all, all wrapped up into one. So those are the three companies that make up East West. So for me, it's running the development side. At the time in Denver, we Mark was developing a project called Riverfront Park. It was it was incredibly groundbreaking then. It won an Urban Land Institute Award for Excellence, which was really cool. Big master plan community in downtown Denver. Very rare, I, honestly. There, there aren't many chances. It happens a few times. It's happened a few times in Miami. There aren't many chances to build twenty five hundred homes in a in an urban setting. And so we we got to do that over about twenty five acres. So it was a it was a really cool project. It just we were building a city, building a neighborhood, which is really cool. What did you learn from your time in Austin coming out of a project that didn't work out, moving into something much bigger that did work out in Denver? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say I learned an incredible appreciation for the salespeople that that work with us and still and and still are responsible for generating sales. I know I said that before, but it's it's a it's just a huge part of it. And I got to really feel it, right? Like the pride of making a sale, you know, the the urgency that you feel when you're walking around with somebody. You know, we were a slow selling project. Uh, while I was there, I think I sold 11 lots, which which was good. But you know, and we were making a pretty good commission because it was a land deal. But I mean I wasn't making a half a million bucks. And you know, I, I was freshly married and making my wife leave New York, which she was really upset about and moved to Austin. And, and so, you know, I had a really big appreciation of that. When I got to Denver, that became even stronger, you know, partly because I managed that team when I first got here for about five years, a little longer, but Mark had come from a sales background too. He, he's sort of famous. I mean, Mark's in the Colorado Business Hall of Fame. He's from Florida. He went to FIU. Yeah, my, 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 there's a lot of funny, great, amazing stories about Mark, but he's, he loves real estate sales so much that he lied about his age to get his real estate license before he turned 18. So that, that is, he did, that is, that, you know, that is, that is sneaking into the business. So, you know, we took that really seriously. We were able to tie marketing and sales together here. And then I think most importantly, that project, which was beautiful, golf course was amazing. A really great team of people worked on that day to day, but they had chosen a bad location. And so, you know, I, I now fully and, and, and always have believed that there's three components, three legs to the, to the stool of real estate. There's location, there's quality, and there's price. You get two and I get one. So if you want a great location and great quality, it's going to cost a fortune. If you want a great location and a low price, it's going to be a crappy building, you know, worst house in the best neighborhood kind of thesis, right? And if you want great quality and a low price, well, you're going to go out to Georgetown, Texas, which is, which by the way, is a delightful place, but it is not a place for a Jack Nicholas signature golf course too far away from town, et cetera, et cetera. So I got to see that in, in action as compared to the site that market put together here in Denver, which is, 
right next to Lodo. So, and I'm still here. Our offices are still here. So it was a com- confirming experience. So that little anecdote of the three different components of real estate, I think can apply to every single real estate asset class. I love it. It's so simple and so true. As you've built East West, which one of those have you decided not to compromise on? And have you focused on two of them or have you found a way to continuously run through that cycle? You know, it's interesting. I think sometimes our company, because where we work, right? Kiowa, Snowmass, Steamboat, Kauai, Vail, where we, where we were founded. I mean, I think people in our industry will oftentimes think that what we are is a luxury condominium developer. Intriguingly, what we really are always trying to do is provide a pretty damn good value to the buyer. So yes, it may be expensive, but they will get, they will feel the value of that. Does that make sense? And so there's, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a line there. You and I've talked about Amon before hotels were talking before we started, you know, Amon is amazing, right? It's amazing. It costs a fortune. There's some diminishing returns there. And, uh, you know, I I don't know them. I've never stayed at one, but I've seen pictures and I know the cost. I know the prices that they get. Right. And we don't live in that world. Yeah, sometimes we've done a couple of deals in in uh, Aspen Snowmass that are really really high, but a lot of times what we're really doing is trying to figure out how to give you more value than what you paid for. Now we never cut corners on quality ever. You know about half of our business is in condominiums for sale condominiums and so for residential, and and that business is a reputational business. Obviously, as everybody knows. We have to manage through construction defect issues. So there's there's no just deciding I'm okay with that refrigerator door not opening the right way. Whereas, you know, God bless our friends in the multifamily business. I got to get this thing open. It'll take another month to flip the, the door. It'll open into the wall. So be it. And, you know, so we'll fix it later. Uh, we can't do that. So, you know, there's we, we don't do those things. And by the way, I know a lot of multi guys. So if any of you happen to watch this, fine. I'm just picking on you. The, it is kind of true. And by the way, I'm just jealous because they've <laughs> all made so much money for the last 10 years. You know, so yeah, we don't skimp on the quality ever. Now, are you, you know, in some circumstances, are you getting an entirely solid granite wall in the bathroom? Yeah, that's one thing, you know, our project Aura in, in Snowmass is like that. But our project Electric Pass Lodge is, you know, more value oriented, but it's, it's all still really nice. What does quality mean to you as you've continued to build that reputation, particularly in the markets that you're in? You mentioned the refrigerator, but it goes beyond that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of things, and this applies to office and retail too, that the experience of somebody moving into their office space or, you know, when when we're when we're punching your, a residence and delivering on that promise, which is hard and we don't always get right. But at least you'll know we cared and we're trying hard, really hard. And so I think that's that's an indication of quality. Quality, we sort of think if people can see us working hard and we are honestly working hard and they know we're working hard, it's a pretty damn good indication of quality. You know, it, things matter. You got to cover the floors when you're working and you got you to gotta do the stuff. And then once they move in, it's part of the reason we have three different lines of business. And this is particularly intriguing is we continue to manage those projects on behalf of the HOA after we finish. And really, I mean, as you know, 
with all your work in the hospitality business, right? A hotel, it's awesome. We can build beautiful ones and we can hire great architects and so forth. But then we have to be open. And at some point, you you have to deliver on that actual promise of of what you said. I mean, I I drew a picture and rendered a bunch of people underneath tea lights with a bunch of beautiful palm trees all around them on the roof with the view of the Tampa skyline. You know, when I do that, damn well better better be a good Aperol spritz and, and, you know, and delivered with a smile. And oh, by the way, the bill should come on time. So I, I think those things are all still super important. And Colleen Weiss and the team at East West Hospitality, who manage almost all of our stuff post-fact and all our markets do a really awesome job. So let's hang there for a second, because I don't know that I've ever heard a company that's not a hotel-only company have the word hospitality in their name. And that was clearly intentional. So what are you guys doing in the property management business that is going above and beyond everyone else? Because I assume that also is tied into your office business, obviously the condo, and then any hotels you're involved in. Yeah, we manage 16 hotels now. And that's an interesting thing to say. In the ski business, there's a lot of weird hotels. It it sort of predates Airbnb, but it kind of looks like Airbnb. So fractional projects. We recently took over what used to be called the Hyatt Aspen, which is a timeshare that runs as a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. We renamed it. We're very clever. It's now called the Aspen. Nobody, nobody had done that. My sister just stayed there. She said it was great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. Yeah. That, that, that HOA approached us about managing it. So they're doing that. I mean, I have nothing to do with it, but I'm, I'm sure they're doing a nice job. You know, so they're, we are in in the resort markets. We are in the hospitality business. And then when we came to Denver, which was our first urban market, one of the things we realized is when we were building an urban neighborhood, we were actually building an urban resort. The amenity is the city instead of the ski resort. But we've got bike trails. We've got parks. We've got public space. We've got retail and coffee shops and restaurants that people want to go to. It's actually really interesting that for us, it's been fascinating to learn how you know, the, the zoning <laughs> is difficult. The project prices are high, you know. So it's it's been really interesting experience over the last twenty years to see you know predating me and what my dad and the rest of the guys at East West and women had done for the previous twenty years was really preparing us for urban work. So and, and we we use all the same tricks, man. We have a project on Daniel Island in South Carolina that's doing great called the waterfront. And I I don't know if you know Daniel Island or if your listeners do, but Daniel Island's an an incredible new urbanist community. And they had this one parcel held back. And we built a restaurant that we own, partnered with an incredible local operator, which is the exact same thing that we did when we took over Base Village in Snowmass. And so those, you know, the exact same experience. Now there, the, the, the amenity is you're in the, this, cool little suburban town center that's really quite nice and on the Wando River and the marsh and and it's beautiful you know so you go fishing and ride your boat over to Shim Creek to drink beer rather than go fishing and or ride a chairlift up to go drink beer so you know they really are they really are pretty similar things anyway I don't even know what you asked me I just got excited about those that idea so you know so hospitality is built into everything that re- truly we hope is built into everything that we do and it also I think for that team it's indicative of what's the right phrase it's indicative of the mindset that we're bringing that's it we, we are here to serve you and for you to have a really good experience so we kind of glossed over this a little bit but maybe you could set the stage for what the three companies, 
look like today and give us some sense of the size of scale. Where are you working? What are you spending most of your time doing? Uh, I'll just do Cypher really fast. O- only in Colorado, you know, billions of dollars in top line transactions. Number one brokerage in in the in Vale in Vail Valley or Eagle County. Number one brokerage in Summit County, and number three, I think now in Pickens County, which is where Aspen is. So, and then they've opened offices in, on the Front Range, primarily focused in Boulder area, and a little bit in Denver. They have a nice office. How in much Denver. of their book of business is your projects, East West projects? Uh, oh gosh, not much. Uh, it, it's primarily a residential brokerage. There's, I think, about 350 brokers. So they are truly a residential brokerage. In the markets where they exist, we use them to sell our stuff. They are incredibly good at on-site sales, which is unusual for a residential brokerage. You know, they are different businesses. Residential brokers are making a market. Great business, incredible skill set, totally valuable value those people selling our stuff. You're a car salesman. I need you to sell the cars on this lot. I do not care if that guy buys it. I only want him or her to buy one of these 27 cars. So they're different skill sets, but uh, but they have a team that's been built to do that. And they've been selling East West stuff for years. So they do a really great job and they represent third parties too. So that's the brokerage. Uh, the hospitality company I mentioned, 16 hotels. I think they manage about 200 property management, property associations in Colorado and South Carolina and California up in Tahoe. And we believe that they're the largest HOA manager in the Rocky Mountains, but it it also may be that they're the only ones willing to do that. That is, you know, that is really hard work. They kind of love it. You know, it's a relatively small margin, but it's a great team of people who take it very, very seriously. All kinds of things, you know, managing HOA boards. We all know the stories about that, but the truth is those people are kind of doing God's work, right? You've got, we have a project here that we did called the Colorado and it's 334 condominiums that managing that HOA budget is hard work and important to those 300 other 333 neighbors. So, you know, they, they do things like manage front desks and have building engineers that work in the buildings and all that kind of stuff, a, a lot of stuff. They also manage about 1,800 rental units, I think. So pretty, pretty big business doing that. And then strangely, we own an eyeglasses store, or they do, uh, called Eyepieces. That's really awesome. And uh, I think there's there's 12 eyepieces now. They just opened in Willits. There's one in Snowmass, three in Vail, a couple in Beaver Creek. So really neat, really neat company. And then my favorite is they own a thing called Resort Delivery, which is food delivery when you come on vacation with us. So if you stay at an East-West project, whether it's a hotel or in one of our vacation rentals, we actually get in touch with you about 90 days in advance. And we have a whole system for helping you schedule your adventures, get your reservations set up and try to make it, you know, get your, if you're going to do ski school, we help you get that. If you're going to need skis, we help you get that. If you're going hiking, whatever. And one of the things we figured out is people needed food. So we also deliver food, which is a really fun little business. Yeah. So, so does that business, okay, it might be lower margin. It's really, really hard work. But does that get you deal flow on the development business and get you in the door in ways that you wouldn't be? Yeah. Th- listen, the relationship between our three companies is super important, right? I, you know, we when we develop, I always think of it this way. So we design a promise in the development company. The salespeople make the promise and the management company keeps the promise. And so, you know, that's that component is 
is super important. I wish Jake that like we finished, we were under construction on a very successful project on Kiowa called the Cape, beautiful place. And we realized that we don't actually communicate with our Cape buyers to come by resort because we're stupid. So we've got some, we've got some things we can do that, you know, Hey, you love the Cape, come by, come by here. But I would say a hundred percent that those relationships help us in, in all kinds of ways. I was going to say, tell me about East West partners now. So what is the size and scale there? What are you doing day in and day out? Yeah. So East West, we develop across the country. We, we go from South Carolina where we've got four projects, you know, over here to Colorado where we're in Denver, Steamboat, Snowmass and Vail, then go to Utah where we're doing work at Deer Valley and Snow Basin. We have done work in Northern California around Lake Tahoe, and then we've done a ton of work in Hawaii. So a lot. We've built master plan communities with office and retail and residential. We built a train station in, in a joint venture with a company called Continuum right, right behind me, Denver Union Station, which is amazing. Awesome um, property. Yeah, it's really fun. So we've done a lot of that stuff. We, we build for rent apartments. We build for sale condos. We build office buildings and we manage retail. Right now, we, we've been really lucky in that we didn't have any office going, which is not skill. We meant to have office going, but we didn't. So yay. <laughs> um, lucked out. We totally lucked out. But we have apartment projects that are on the boards and moving along and progressing. But everything that's live is either retail, hotel, or condominiums. So we're across all of those, it's probably about $2 billion. We have about 1.4 billion under contract and under construction right now. So really a nice four-year run for us to say the least, which has been cool. And then we are master planning two big mixed use projects, one in Charleston and one in Denver right now. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. So we've got a lot going on. So how have actually, I want to go, I want to start with something that you said, and that's your relationship with your dad. So you mentioned you've transitioned and now you're a partner. I'm curious to know when you started at East West, how is it different to what it is today? What's changed? How has it gotten better? I mean, listen, not just saying this, some things haven't changed. So a, a few core theses. One is East West is always live where you work. So we are very much a local developer. So when I was running Denver, I worked in Denver. I would sometimes communicate, get called in for a charrette, ask questions of my cohorts in other marketplaces, but I focused on Denver. Uh, today, that's when they made me Cara. And that's what we do. That is, that is, we're full believers in that. And we are mixed use developers. So we do not have an internal system to optimize, to build multifamily or industrial or storage in various different markets all over the place. Instead, we are very focused on local. It's an old model. It was the Gerald Hines Trammell Crow model. Lots of people still believe in it. We're one of them. So that, ha that has not changed. Yeah, the business hasn't fundamentally changed. It got to raise a bunch of capital, <laughs> sell units, <laughs> convince somebody your hotel's going to work. You know, those things haven't changed. That, you know, office is a little different. Walkability is... We always thought it was important. We've been we've been proven, luckily enough, to be right, and I think that's still a big focus for us. Not to say suburban stuff's not happening, but there's lots of opportunity in the walkable stuff. So I think those things are the same. 
you know, as far as leadership, I mean, to my dad and his other partner's credit, they identified a group of us that they thought potentially could be the future leaders of the company quite some time ago, 2008, actually. And so we started meeting as a group. And then about five years ago, a few, few of the guys that had started with my dad, not all of them were ready to retire or half retire. And so we have a lot of half retirees. So the half retirees, half retired. And, you know, Miller Harper in Charleston took over Charleston from Ross Bowker, one of our founders. Andy Gunyan went to Snowmass, New Market. I replaced Craig as Ferraro as CEO. And then my dad moved into a chairman's role for the development company. Now, my dad has like incredible energy and no desire to quit doing anything. So I still talk to him every day. And he he's gone nowhere, but we did restructure the company, and so now I'm I'm an owner. My dad is an owner, but so are the market managers, managing partners that we have in the company. So East West Partners, our development entity, our fee company, our our um, our tax ID number is now owned by by all of those partners. So we went through that transition about five years ago, which was cool. And they had identified us good on them. They'd identified us in '08. Uh, everybody was good except for me. And so, you know, so I got the CEO role and everybody else is out doing the stuff. And and I think, and that was, that was cool. But, you know, for me, we, we actually have this weird problem, Jake, across all three companies, but you know, same in development. One thing that's really interesting is, is people don't leave here very often. And, and we've had a few people get some incredible opportunities that you'd be crazy to pass on, but people don't live here very often. So we do have a bit of a small challenge. We only know this way to do it. <laughs> we don't know another way. Um, like we can't figure out how to do expenses. We only know how to do that with Excel spreadsheets and printed receipts. And I, I gather there is technology, but we don't know what it is, you know? So yeah, there's some negatives, but for the most part, it's pretty positive. So I, I don't think we've changed that dramatically in that way. Now we are bigger now than we've ever been. Part of that is simply because of inflation. Uh, you know, prices just got higher, but we're in a lot of markets and some of those markets are getting to be quite big. There are 20 people in the development team in Charleston, uh, about the same number in Snowmass. That'll probably happen here in Denver too. So those markets are, yeah, they're, they're pretty substantive businesses all on their own. Okay. So I'm going to need you to thread the needle for me on something. So your first core value was live where you work. And then clearly you know how to create incentives because you created a firm where team members, some team members own a piece. So walk me through how you expanded to Hawaii and Snowmass and South Carolina. And obviously, Chris, you, your dad, you don't live there. So that means something much bigger than it actually is. That's a great question. I, you know, I'm going to use Ryan Stone. Ryan's amazing. So, so Ryan worked here in Denver. He had had a whole career before he came to East West. He had navigated through 08 by working at a bank and, and dealing with REO assets. Sounds terrible, you know, but he had worked for a high net worth individual here in Denver for quite some time. And then he had worked for a big, huge apartment development company that was actually going public and then didn't go public. And that's how we ended up getting him. They ended up just selling the assets, right? Because one thing I learned in my old days, a real estate M&A is not a merger or an acquisition. It is always an acquisition and because uh, it's just assets. And then, you know, you only, you only need one manager in a market, you know? 
So Ryan came to join us and we were very lucky. And he ran an, a, a townhome project that we did on the east side of Denver. He led the development of the building I'm sitting in now, the Triangle Building. He did a big, huge kind of build to suit for DeVita that's 600,000 square foot building across the street and really had just proven that he was really good. He then very, very much wanted to move and get his own market, which is totally reasonable, right? And he and his wife had forever wanted to move to Steamboat. That's where they wanted to go. His, his wife, I think, had, her family had had homes there. They were up there a lot. They loved it. Schools are really good, beautiful place, and a really interesting real estate market. For forever, East West has had one of our equity partners, probably our biggest equity partner right now, KSL. KSL, actually, the, the history is even better. I mean, we're, we're all pretty intimate in, in our little resort, ski resort world. Uh, Mike Shannon, the S in KSL, before he founded KSL, had been the president of Vail Associates, and he was the president of Vail Associates immediately following my dad. So that, and then Eric Resnick, who runs KSL today, worked for Mike at Vail. And so that, you know, those relationships have been created. Peter and Peter McDermott, the CIO at, at KSL, and a, a number of other people, lots of people, have been planning to, to put together Altera, which for those who don't know, is the icon pass to compete with Vail, and they bought Steamboat. When they bought Steamboat, they called us and said, hey guys, we've got real estate at the base of Steamboat. We intend to invest an inordinate amount of money in the mountain. Would you like to come be a developer? That's and Ryan was like, and Ryan was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, and so we've had to work through stuff and things have happened and so forth and so on. But but we got there. And we knew Ryan was ready and capable of, you know, he'd run very big projects and he was ready to have his own market and he was willing, actually eager to move. That's how we ended up in Charleston. Our former uh, CFO, Andy Gunyan, that's how he ended up in Snowmass. He, he, he wanted to move to Snowmass. So I think those, those things, that's always been a driver for us. And that's, that's how we grow today. And do those markets like act as their own little business units? Like they find their own deals and they run the show, they have their own P&L? Yes, we, we don't. It's a little, it's, we don't quite do it like that. We, it, it's impossible to get the PL right. It, there are too many other expenses. We, we have centralized accounting in Vail. We have this incredible accounting team with an average tenure of like 17 years or something. And they live in Vail. So they're not, and by the way, if we told them they had to move to Denver, they'd be like, I'm going to go post my resume. You know, they, they live in Vail. So, uh, and they and, and they love working with us. And it's amazing. Well, we work with them, but it's awesome to have them. But, you know, they're, they're not leaving. So, it's, it's sort of impossible to figure that out. So that was actually part of it. We share across the company ownership. We don't divvy it up on local markets. Now, the real estate investments, we also invest together and then local people can invest more. And then once we get to the sweat component, local people are participating that at a much larger percentage in their deals. And that, that structure has that, that was a lot of work. It took us a while to get to that. There are lots of options out there for how to do this, but that's the one that worked for us. So when you were creating these incentives for people, you don't have to go into like the specifics, but what did you find to be the best way? Is it incentivizing people on kind of the global corporate company P&L? And, and some people like, you know, who, how do you decide who gets a piece? Because I'm sure that doesn't happen overnight. And then they're also incentivized on the deal they're working on, I guess, is what I'm also hearing. Yeah. So I, I listen, pretty much everybody participates in some way in financial incentives on the deal that works for East West. So at some level. And that's something that 
we've always done. That predates me. I didn't invent that. You know, the higher up the ladder you are, the higher percentage of that incentive you're going to get. And that that's how we do it. I, Jake, in all seriousness, I, that incentive is part of it. But people who came to work here, East West exists. This is our sort of tagline. We exist to create terrific places. That's what we do. Create because we develop. Uh, we might redevelop. We've got a cool Project 71 Wentworth in downtown Charleston. That's a, that's a, uh, what's well, a restoration. It's building been vacant for 50 years. Yeah. Right on King street. It's wicked cool. So, you know, we might redevelop, but our, we came here to create stuff. And then place is, you know, for us, place is sort of everything. It's the, how do you feel? What's your comfort level? You know, that a place is more than just a physical thing. It's also an idea. And so for us, creating terrific places is a huge deal. And I will tell you that we say we use terrific because if, if you say something to my dad and he sends you an email, it'll say terrific. And that's when you know you did a good job. So that's where that word came from. And it's unique and kind of sounds weird. So, you know, people are really who are working with us, th that is what they're incentivized by. Amy is incredibly excited about the public market and the shared space and the connectivity of the creek at Cherry Creek West over in the Cherry Creek North neighborhood. Like that, that, that gets her just as excited. And look, she, she's, she's American. She likes to make money, right? It, she, she's, she wants to have a place in Salida that she's got under construction. So, you know, those things are important, but it is it is not the only incentive because we have you know we are you we have people who have the talents that they could be somewhere else that they probably could be making more money not because we're holding anything back from them but but because there's you know there's efficiencies in the multifamily business or in the storage business or in the industrial logistics business you know so man, they have the talents to do that but they they're here to develop real estate and it's fun I mean, it's the same reason why people go into hotels because you're not going to always make the most money in hotels, but you love what you're doing. You're working with great people. You're in amazing places. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, don't you find that for you guys that, I mean, it's so much fun to go in the damn thing. A hundred percent. And I don't actually want to work on hotels. I think very similar to you, knowing your projects, knowing what you work on. I don't want to work on hotels that aren't inspiring or that feel just transactional because then I'd rather just do, you know, a crappy little multifamily thing or something. I mean, you're not doing the uh, basic housing at the base of Aspen Mountain. Yeah. You don't want to just get a Hampton Inn franchise and... I don't know, dude. Those things make a lot of money. They do make <laughs> maybe money. Like, I don't know, maybe a side business. No, I, I want to Hampton Inn at the base of Aspen Mountain. Like that would right. be fun, well, yeah, right? you and everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a that's a hard one to figure out. It is, and maybe we'll do it together. How have you guys? You know, development is tough because you have big payroll. You have a lot of people. You need a lot of people as you figured out. You have people living in these markets. How have you figured out over this long period, you've proven through many cycles to survive real estate cycles. And now you have a huge development pipeline You know, coming into a recession. Maybe we're not in a recession. Whatever it is, you're going not through something. We're not in a recession. <laughs> See? It's just, we're a, not a recession. It's just, it's just some friends of yours and mine can't get loans. It, it, we are not in a recession. And you know, the, the office sector has got some serious challenges, but we're not in a recession. It, just like nobody's leaving California either. You know, it's like 0.03% or something, you know. And and they're going to be the fourth largest economy in the world at the end of the year. No, I look for us, I, I, this is my dad. He set this tone and it's something we've done for forever. He, it, I, I saw it named in a book I read recently. It's been going around. It's an airport book of the psychology of money. 
and the guy has a really he goes look the lat it's always it's always a hockey stick every business is always a hockey stick it's always a hockey stick so the secret is be in business when the hockey stick comes and and so that you know that's a pretty good analogy right and my dad he just we just don't take risks that are too big we had we did have some uh, one particularly very difficult project in in uh california coming out of 08 that got the perfect storm of not just problems with buyers, not having guests, but also problems on the equity side, which really is very difficult to navigate through when your equity's done. What do you do? So, you know, that was that was a tough, that was tough, but but it didn't put East West Partners out of business. At the time we were down here, we got the assignment for Union Station, which was a public-private partnership um, that, you know, was funding the work in other markets. That kept us along long enough to get to Snowmass. You know, so th- those kinds of things are are really important. We we don't we don't guarantee much. It, we build deals that we believe can be absorbed in relatively reasonable timeframes. If we do something that looks aggressive, it's actually because we don't think it. We we actually think it's the opposite. So an example might be building a big condo building on spec, and it, it feels like that's riskier because you don't have the pre sales. But the the real truth is you can't get the damn pre sales for primary home because. I'm building you a home and you and your wife are out looking for a home and, and, and I'm, and you're like, when do I get it? And I'm like, three years from now, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going over here. Right. It's probably, it's not a second home. It's a primary home. You know, now if you're building your own, that's something, but you're still going to live in your old house until you get the other one done, you know? So, yeah. So it may, things that might look risky, but they're really, we think it's actually the opposite. So just not, not too big a risk takers, uh, very thoughtful. We do not have, uh, my dad really beat this into us and then used Michael Bloomberg as his example all the time. Bloomberg's never had more than a two-year plan. Uh, we do not have some big master plan 10-year thing. Instead, we have these rules. We're going to be, we're going to live where we work. We're not going to cut corners. We're going to make a civic impact. We're going to build now entirely carbon neutral operating and hopefully getting the carbon neutral, carbon neutral. And as long as we're doing those things, we're going to be incredible at reporting to our investors. We're going to do a great job of service with our buyers and and tenants and guests. And if as long as we do those things, we'll find the creative deals in the right time. So the other thing too, and you know this, real estate development is is always long. Of course, there's no short position you can take. We can't get out of. We can't just go sit down. You know, we have to make payroll and. So that is not possible. So we have to be willing to be clever. I will say one thing that we have done and we always do do is we have an advisory services business. So we will fee develop things. And as you know, we fee developed for Starwood Capital, the one hotel at Hanalei. We did something similar in Charleston for a hotel called The Rider. So uh, we have some fee development work on behalf of Altera and Steamboat. So we we, we do do that. Uh, hopefully our customers you know, really enjoy it. And honestly, it gives us, it gives us access to things on down the road. So we developed, Fee developed two things for Starwood as well. That was actually how we met. And I was impressed walking around Hawaii with you. And, and you had a team member there that lived there. And I was like, these guys haven't figured out. They've got a guy here. They know how to win a job. They already had the guy living here. But fee development for someone else is really hard because it's always hard to please someone, particularly someone as particular as Barry, but also because, you know, it's not your money. It's not your deal. It's someone else's deal. How have you found to be kind of the best partner in that capacity? And 
when do you put your foot down and when do you kind of just say, okay, they're the boss they're, That's what they're telling me to do. Yeah. You know, we did two deals for, um, Newberger that they had bought out of oh, coming out of 08, a condominium project in Charleston that was half sold next to the Cooper river bridge and in a mixed use project here in South Denver called the landmark, which I think was sort of like the last distressed asset to sell in the United States. And you know, that I think those are two different leaders on that, but they both did the same thing. They created really good relationships with the asset manager from those companies. You know, I think with a distressed buyer, they are leaning on us a little bit more. So these were in both cases, they had bought notes and then foreclosed. With Starwood, it's, I mean, they're different, but they're not. I mean, is it is it really that different than Ritz-Carlton? I mean, you know, we all know and, and love Barry and everybody knows the stories about Barry because you just do. But I, I, honestly, we found, and I'm sure you felt the same, we, we found the creativity and things that we got out of them were really awesome. And, you know, and at the same time, they didn't ignore us. Uh, you know, they listened to our ideas. And so it's just a slightly more collaborative thing. So, you know, and it's pretty rare that, our equity partners are sort of checked out. I mean, we we like having an active participation with them. So, you know, as you know, it may be design related and our, you know, KSL may leave us alone on design, but KSL is not going to leave us alone on the construction loan, right? And they and that's awesome because nobody's getting more debt in the hospitality space than they are, right? So the relationships they have, the knowledge they have, they have their own debt fund which we've never borrowed from. I don't think it works that way somehow, but they you know, they know it. And so, you know, I honestly, it, I don't, it's not that terrible. How's that sound? In fact, I, I actually, I think it's pretty damn fun. I mean, when we're doing it at ski resorts, which we've done twice now, you know, you're working with a whole group of incredible experts about operating a ski resort, which is a lot like restaurants. Everybody thinks they know how they work. And, but until you work at a restaurant, you don't realize how damn hard it is to work at a restaurant, yep, right? Yep. But we all go to restaurants all the time. So, you know, why isn't the bill here yet? You know, meanwhile, there's 17 customers waiting and I haven't been to the bathroom all day, right? Running a ski resort, it's kind of the same. What do you mean? You get some employees, you have lift tops, you know, it's a lot of work. So, you know, I don't know. How's that? But I do think, you know, keys are you have to be open. You have to be listening, right? And you have to be a good, you have to be good at reporting. You have to really be, and I don't just, I actually physically mean the actual reports they get from us has to be really helpful, you know? So how's that? I think those are the keys. Yeah. I mean, I found that the experiences we had with Starwood and maybe one other group was incredibly valuable because you get to basically use someone else's time and money to expand your business, your knowledge, your team's experience, so that when you're doing the same work for someone else or yourself, you've now just been able to compound in a way that you couldn't do on your own just because you don't have the bandwidth. Well, and I think you also do, at least for us, I'm sure you feel the same way. We were able to bring things that we had to that one hotel project. Zoning, which is incredibly difficult in Kauai County. Local relationships, which are super important. You know, we were during COVID, so even crazier. That sort of turned out to be a blessing because we could just close and we'd have to worry about it. But, you know, it, it, Kauai is at the end of the earth, right? It, it's not West Hollywood. So it's, uh, it's, you know, it's the end of the earth. So, you know, figuring out the labor stuff and the relationships with the subcontractors and all those kinds of things, we could be really helpful on, you know, and look, we had lots of challenges on that project. So I don't want to, I don't want to overstate, but it's open and it's beautiful. And I'm pretty sure it's the best hotel in America. So I'm, I'm okay with it. 
it's it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely one of a kind and it's amazing to I, I saw it as this like honestly it was i think a saint regis or something it was not it was basically a sheridan that they slapped the saint regis logo on and a big you know insurance I mean, we, we company both have to be it, careful right? but what's crazy about that deal <laughs> is when it came back to market it had been redone in 2008 so when you and I were over there together, I, I think that was like 18, it, it was 10 years on. It was only 10 years old after a complete remodel. Yeah, they 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 had just missed it. Say Regis's can be really amazing. And they even their beachfront ones can be really amazing. I have friends, I've never been there, but I have friends who absolutely love the St. Regis and Punta Mita as an example. Yep. But for whatever reason, that, for whatever reason, that one didn't work. It needed to be reimagined. Yeah, I mean, that's right. you ripped and the whole roof off. Weird. Yeah, we yeah. ripped the whole roof off and made the floor roof. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> that is not easy to do. Because <laughs> well, I, I was the, there and the floors, was like, yeah, we're going to rip the roof off. Yeah. <laughs> the floors are not um, waterproof. They're not waterproof. And as you know, Kauai, North Shore Kauai, it rains, you know, 15 minutes every hour, which is why it's you know one of the most lush places on earth. But yeah, that was a fun one. It's a good project. So I was just in South Carolina with my family at Palmetto Bluff and, you know, beautiful master plan community. It's fake, like all about creating experiences. Every house is beautiful. Talk about value. Like the construction seems very high. Another place that comes to mind is Ocean Reef Club in, in Florida, which, which we've talked about. I've been there a lot. Are there any of these places, any of these major once in a generation master resort things still available or have they all been developed at this point? Oh, I don't think they've all been developed. I mean, PJ O'Rourke, the Rolling Stone columnist who just passed away, wrote an editorial about new urbanism a long time ago. And he said, anybody who's ever flown across the country knows there's more land. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's tough on the East Coast, right? I mean, Florida, you can't build a hotel, right? I mean, it, there's some there's some nooks and crannies in the Carolinas, but people find stuff. I mean, the Yellowstone Club is and Big Sky is the ultimate example. And, you know, Sam Byrne and, and an incredible team of people took over a pretty stressed project, but that was not fundamentally flawed. It was stressed for a bunch of weird reasons, and they've turned it into an absolute juggernaut. So, no, I mean, there's plenty of spots. You know, you there's seven new deals a month in the Bahamas, man. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, but it's hard to build in the Bahamas and like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Seven, you know, one every 10 years gets built. But, if, but, but, but you know, it wasn't easy to build on Kiowa when they started in 1973, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, it, th those projects are, are hard. I, I will say that the, the, the multi decade master planned, Projects are hard. You know, Palmetto Bluff is on its third owner, I think. Yeah, that's right. It takes two to go bankrupt before. Yeah, someone well, can the make second money. one actually did pretty well. The, okay. the, the sale was a, the sale was decent. I don't remember what happened to the first one. Uh, you know, Hart Howardson did the master plan there. There, we get to do a lot of work with them, and they're incredible. That place is awesome. Palmetto Bluff is awesome. But look, I mean, you know, Jake, Discovery gets a new deal every six months and it, they always I, look I don't amazing know how they to do me. It. <laughs> yeah. Casamigos. Casamigos, golf courses, Tom Brady. And uh, do you like your nuts hot or cold at your halfway station at the golf course? Because you could choose between them. Incredible. They do an incredible job, incredible company. So yeah, those things, are they're hard to come by. And then they're hard to do.
What does, looking back at your portfolio, if you could pick one, what do you think the greatest investment was that you guys made in terms of project? You figure out how you want to rank it based on returns, just success, happiness, how it turned out, whatever. Tell me. Well, look, what I think look for like? my dad and for Mark Smith, it was starting Slifer Smith and Frampton and partnering with Rodney Slifer. Rodney was the first ski instructor in Vail and also the first real estate broker. In- in- incredible guy, you know, incredible history across real estate, owned owned Snow Basin for a while, had something to do with Alta or Bluebird. I can never keep track, you know, built homes, built this, that, or the other. But but that they have they have done very well financially. And uh, directly, and then they have done very well financially in making the rest of their developments work. So I would say that was probably the smartest thing East West did from an investment perspective. I also think not taking too big of risks was another one that we we don't have anything that's going to put us out of business. And I think that is a really smart investment decision. So I know people who have risked literally everything, you know personally guaranteeing a loan on their house and it worked and it's great. But just because you run across that 405 at, you know, let's go with something like 830 at night and make it doesn't mean you should do it again. So, right. <laughs> you know, I think, I think those, cause you, you could get across it at 430 PM cause it's not moving, just walk, <laughs> you know, but uh, at eight o'clock at night, they're hauling butt. Right. So yeah, I think those two things, you know, for me personally, we, we've done a couple of very small projects, be very specific, where we've found some little add-on things that no longer have value to our institutional partners, but look good to us. We were able to perform them entirely on our own, and those little deals really crushed. So, you know, we, we made what looked like promoted cash flow that was, you know, a couple of townhomes. So how do you set something like that up? Are you just buying out the land from them? Or do you say, hey, do you mind if we do this and we'll pay for it and you guys aren't in the deal? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter to them. You know, for we haven't really talked about it much, but most of our capital comes from institutional advisors. I mean, they may be raising from ultra high net worths or sovereigns or whatever, but they're, you know, they're advisors and damn good at what they do. And so yeah, they they need scale. They've got billions of dollars. You know, the last whatever few hundred thousand dollars on that um, one small parcel. That that's not changing any of the returns back at the home office, and it's more difficult than they want to deal with. And they that their thing's been a success, and they're happy. Then it's okay. So let's talk about it. You brought it up. So how are you primarily capitalizing these deals, and how do you go about? finding these capital partners. You called them advisors, but they're really like institutional private equity firms, right? Not Yeah, they're private equity. Yeah, yeah, they're private equity. You know, I'd say a few things. One is Jay Lambiot, our CFO, and myself, and my dad previously, and Mark previously. I mean, my dad was chair of ULI for a while, trustee, all that stuff. We've created a lot of great relationships through all of those things that I think are really important. We've been at it for a while, right? I mean, I'm 51. So I've got people who are now the director of acquisitions at some of the largest funds who I underwrote projects with 20 years ago. So we've all been able to grow up in the business together. I have my college roommate is one of the largest department developers in America now. So, you know, I, 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 and I take credit for all of that, by the way, just so we're clear. So those, you know, that, that's part of it, right? Like we're just in the business. I think secondly, 
we spend a lot of time trying to understand, you know, what KSL or we have an incredible partner here in Denver, Centris, that advises for a few pension funds and they have they have partnered with us on some very risky things some very long-term things in very unique ways and so we try to really understand what's important to them and you know be a be a good provider of return right and on some level we're manufacturing yield for them of course but at the same time we're trying to help them manage the future and they don't know so you know they got a lot of money they got to figure out where to put it so they want to put it with somebody that they that they trust so hopefully we're doing a good job. That's why I keep coming back to reporting, but I, I actually mean it. You know, we don't hide anything. If bad news is coming, we say it. And if good news is coming, we don't we don't announce it till it's actually, you know, closed, so to speak. <laughs> Unless things are really bad and then we're like, we got a contract, you know. So I think those things are I think those things are really important. And then we try to develop really good personal relationships if we can. We're we're lucky to work with people we really like and there's a few capital partners. You know, we've done a ton with Starwood. We don't have many that we haven't done repeat. So we've done repeat with Carlisle, repeat with Newberger, repeat with Accentris. We had Crescent Real Estate Equities out of Fort Worth. That uh, was my dad's partner in Richard Rainwater for about 20 years. So the Crown family out of Chicago, we've done multiple deals with now. And I think that's that's, we just take it seriously. Talk to me about reporting because you've brought it up a couple of times. It's on your website. How do your teams report to you? They're all over the country. Like, what do you look at? What what What's your meeting cadence? And then take it a step further and like, tell me what you're telling your partners and how, how you present that. Yeah. So you probably deal with this too. I'm never quite sure what I'm supposed to do. So like, I'll start really simple. I have seven reports. We have an executive committee. They're all on it. I spend 30 minutes with each of them every week on the calendar. It's just a simple 30 minute one-on-one. It's really theirs to just get to, to set up. Is there something we need to discuss? We try to make sure like, how was your weekend? You know, Jim Telling who runs Vale is in his mid sixties and is winning the under 40 trail run races. So like, I want to know, like, how do you yeah, have everybody in Vale, man? I'm like, what, 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 tell me what you, you know, you did this weekend. How are the kids, you know, is your wife going to Australia to visit your daughter? You know, th- those kinds of things are really a big deal. And, and so I try to spend time on those. So that's, you know, it's the 30 minutes with them. Uh, we have a series of waypoints, I guess you could call it. I, I don't like to see things fully baked personally. I love being part of the creative process. So I like to see things as they, come together. So I like to, before we'll present to partners, I will spend time either virtually or in person with people in the market as they're designing a project. So I think that for me is helpful. And then look, th- those those seven people have all been trained to lead their markets and they are doing that and they're doing it their way. You know, so Amy Cara and Jim Telling are not the same person. They're obviously, right? And they have different things that they find interesting in the job, different strengths, different weaknesses. They try to hire, each of them try to hire to offset that and then, you know, train to bring people along. And it sounds, I feel like I'm making it simpler than it is, but also it isn't so complicated. Does that make sense? A lot, Yeah, because a lot of people make it complicated. And sometimes I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. And the truth is, you know, you're honest about it. You never really know. And it takes so much time to get into a rhythm and figure out what, what works for you. I, I've definitely spent a lot of time over-optimizing for things that don't need to be. Yeah, I think, there, you know, it's funny. I think there's a bit of a modern thing. I mean, I, look, I everybody is so different, but there is a bit of a modern thing to want to sort of put it all into some software. Right. And yeah, people, people are always calling us to, 
and I, I get it. Oh my gosh, what's it called? Juniper Square, right? Awesome. Yeah, software. we have Juniper Square. Right? Yeah, doesn't suit us at all. And God bless the 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 nice sales guy who calls on us every couple of years. He comes in and goes, yeah, that doesn't suit you because Juniper Square is not designed for communicating with private equity. It's designed for communicating with individual investors. It's an awesome tool, right? Another version of that is folks are always calling us to do project management software and have a centralized project management software. Well, we kind of figured out actually that we'll have two or three people really in the project management side, maybe even one if it's small enough, right? But at the general contractor, they've got like 50. So we've just learned to use, we, we have to whatever train they one. Use. Yeah, whatever they use. We have to train one to do whatever it is they do, right? And I think, so yeah, you can, you can definitely over, you can definitely overdo it. Reports are created locally because different equity partners want different things. We do have some deals with multiple investors, particularly in South Carolina. And so that's a different kind of report than something that somebody in asset management at Starwood Capital is having to move over, right? So Dan Schwegler, our, our hero at, at Starwood Asset He's Manager. He's a good guy. I like him. Oh, yeah, he he he, uh, he had the idea that paid for my house. So I love Dan Schwegler. <laughs> I just love Dan Schwegler. You know, but Dan needs things a certain way. So how do we get them? How do we get them to him like that? I think that's a big deal. So I don't know. And different, you know, a lot of construction management, which we haven't touched on much today, but construction management is obviously a huge part of development. And so our construction management teams, each of them are different and they're interacting with different GCs. So how does that work? We let them decide. So I think the next component to that, you've talked about all these great partners that you have. I've actually learned the most from the mistakes I've made with partners. Do any mistakes that you've made jump out at you by either how you guys acted or how the partner acted that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm never doing that again? Yeah, I know the mistake that I make uh, personally. Company might do this too. The mistake I make personally is to believe I know the answer and then want to, in essence, guide somebody along to that answer. And, and not step back and say, why do they keep saying this? What am I missing? And that is a mistake that I've, I've made a bunch. We had a, some really great opportunities here in Denver. And while I kept arguing with somebody about something, those opportunities slipped away and that's on me. So I think that that's probably the, you know, I don't want to point anybody out, but those mistakes were, were big, substantial financial missed opportunities. And I think that that can be a really big mistake. You know, in Hawaii, we we struggled. We were talking about about having permanent leadership there. I think we did not understand how hard you and I talked about it. It is to live on the North Shore of Kauai. It really is the end of the earth, and it's a tough place to be day to day. You're you got two grocery stores, two and a half, twelve restaurants, and that's it. Yeah, so you know that's that's a tough situation, but it's beautiful. So there's people who love it. Laird Hamilton's never moving, but you know it's a. Uh, so I think that 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 was a mistake we made. And then, you know, a couple of times in the history of the company, we have, for reasons that didn't make sense, sort of delivered projects a little bit before they were ready. And I think that's a really killer mistake. It sets up all kinds of problems. Hard to avoid because people who've already bought are waiting and they're eager and we want to please them and give them their condo or open the hotel for them or whatever. And then at the same time, you know, as you know, not closing units. The, the, the loan is at its biggest amount. We've reached peak equity. You know, that, that money is costing a lot. So I think that's a big mistake. And then we learned a, a little while ago that deals that are, for us, very important not to be multi, uh, not to be crossed across a cycle. And so what I mean by that is having 
and I say a big project, you know, big project in Denver, having all of those buildings in one waterfall is really, really bad financial move. It's very disincentivizing because if we miss six months for very good reasons, Mr. Equity would not like me to invest now. Pref is still accruing. We're behind an IRR clock and now we're no longer incentivized to do anything. They've got an unhappy partner. So it took us a while to be able to navigate through all of that, but I think we've gotten where we can. So those things hurt us for a while. So in a bigger project, you're kind of looking at each building, each component as its own deal. So then on the acquisition side, we've talked about risk, but how are you managing risks on these projects through the acquisition pipeline? Are you acquiring the land and taking the risk there? Are you basically optioning and then raising your debt and your equity and then kind of closing all together? What's worked best for East West? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. First of all, we keep our pursuit costs very, very low. We've proven to be pretty darn good at that until such time as we are committed to a project. And we've got to talk about what I mean when I say committed. Once we commit, we end up spending a lot of pursuit dollars. Just depends. Maybe we need zoning. Maybe the equity doesn't want to come without a construction loan. Who knows? But we do spend a lot of pursuit dollars. But interestingly enough, we haven't walked away from one of the committed ones yet in my time. So I think pretty good. We, we look at deals fast. We take them really seriously. Uh, committed for us, by the way, it's something. If we're buying a piece of land from a, a, a family, we've got a contract. If we're rezoning something, you know, we do a lot of public-private work. So if we're rezoning for a city or something, you know, we've got that figured out. If every once in a while, there's a parcel that we just love and we will buy it, but we, listen, we're not floating around in a bunch of money. So, I mean, we are still a real estate developer, not a real estate investment fund. You know, so, so we do have to figure that out. So we don't buy land too often. We have a couple of partners that will do that. Interestingly enough, because of what we do, which is weird, which is vertical master plan communities. And there's others that do it, but there's not a ton of us on a relative basis. We do see a lot of weird deals. And so we tend to, we tend to be partners with land more often than not. So at Cherry Creek West, we'll be partners with the landowners. Snow Basin, we're partners with the ski resort and landowner. And Steamboat, we're partners with the ski resort owner and they're the landowner. So that that tends to be a way we sort of navigate through land. Same thing in Charleston. So what you're saying though is committed is not whether you East West wants to do the deal. It's do you have some sort of document locking you into the deal so that you know if you're going to spend money, there's no way the counterparty could make the deal evaporate I'd say, for you. Actually, it's a great way. It's a great question. I appreciate you asking for the clarity. I would say both. So we want to be really committed and excited. Like, because what we've noticed is, and I'm sure you have this experience. If we spend our time on it, we'll probably figure it out, right? Yeah, yeah. But if, you know, if and we you just get excited. And we get excited and you go do the things and you change your mind and you go, well, maybe I can fund it this way or maybe I can fund it that way or maybe we could build this and maybe we'll do townhomes instead of a high rise, I, you know, which, or, or, which we actually did. I mean, you know, so you figure it out. But if you're committed because you love that piece of dirt, you love that community, you love that neighborhood, I, I think it can work pretty well. And yeah, yes, we, we, we do not we do not go. Pers- I know people who have the resources to sort of pursue things. I actually saw designs for a piece of land that we owned from a big multinational multifamily developer who had taken it like the schematic, you know? And I was like, 
boy, good for you. <laughs> you know, what is that? I think that's our parcel. <laughs> you know, well, we're so, looking at a deal right now, and you know, we would want to JV with a landowner, kind of take an option, but I do want to get the plans, maybe get a GMP before we're closing. But that is going to require some amount of cost. But the good thing is, and I guess in your projects, it's very important. You could do it in phases. So you can kind of tie it up, do the schematics, really have a check-in. Do I love it? It does this work. Call whoever you're going to raise, call whoever you're going to raise capital from, you know, and, and we really do use the SD, you know, conceptual SD, uh, DDCD to check. I mean, we're doing that. And I will say in most of our condo deals, the price goes up at each one of those phases and we have to convince ourselves we can charge more. You know, I, that's just how that works. And I'm pretty sure it's the same for you in hospitality. So yeah, that's that's what we're doing. But look, once we go, we, we usually make it. I mean, it's usually a partnership with the land. And I think that is a big deal. We do lots of deals where land is contributed into projects and take a capital account. Those Those things help a lot. And are you getting the GC involved very early on or are you kind of waiting until CDs are started or maybe at 50% to start checking things out with the GC? You know, we have not, I would like to tell you that we had some consistent thesis on that, but but we don't. If I guess if I idealized everything, the GC would be someone we self-selected, agreed to some level of pre-development fee and it was their job to lose. And we basically knew what their charges were going to be for that. And we got the best account executive and the best pricer that we knew from there, estimator that we knew from there, like that would be awesome. Like that would be really great, you know, but sometimes the three guys you like aren't available. And so you got to go find somebody else. And then they should, and then it turns out that, oh, you know, big construction for Max is going to be available. Right. So it isn't, I wish it was perfect, but it's not, I, I will say this. We, we truly, 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 truly think that our, construction part or construction company is a partner in the deal. I mean, generally speaking, we're going to be using wrap insurance. So that's, we're already both heavily invested in quality and, you know, their reputation of building our buildings is just as important as our reputation of selling them a little different because, but they need to go sell to the next, they need to sell their services to the next woman who's got the big development on the other side of town. So we view that relationship, you know, incredibly importantly um, and a very local one, you know, that, it's good that the, you know, the CEO of, of, I don't know, Pickett PCL and I can get together. It's really much more important that Travis, who runs the work in Aspen and the local guy from Hazelden there are close. So how's that? And we, we really don't want them to go broke. Like that isn't our goal. No, because then you have to find a new GC and you want to keep working with the same people that you trust and understand. That's the opposite. Okay. The last place I want to go is I want to talk about hotels. And I want to actually talk about it in a unique way because you do condos, you also do hotels and you do condos and hotels. During the great financial crisis, there was this thing called a condo hotel that became very popular in Miami and in a lot of ski towns. There's fractional ownerships. There's the things like they did at the Little Nell residence where they sell the same unit five or six different times. And you know the price per square foot is like $40,000 a square foot. People can only use it a couple of weeks out of the year. There's condo hotels where you can only stay in it for 30 days. If you're looking at a new deal, you're setting up a deal, how are you structuring the condo hotel? Is it 
completely separate? Are they combined? How are you doing that after seeing everything? Let's see. So a few things. One, as I would say, if a hotel that is a classic hotel can work and have the right occupancy at all the times, and there are no ulterior motives to it, it's great. It's a great model. It's the right model because the operations and all of the incentives are just sort of perfectly aligned. The team that's working there knows what they're getting. They, they don't have the added complexity of homeowners uh, or fractional owners or timeshare owners. They just have a guest comes in. You know, I stayed at the edition in, in uh, Tampa. It's great, right? It's great really hotel. Yep. It's a great hotel. You walk in, they check you in, you go upstairs, everybody's there to serve you. They have great drinks, cool rooftop bar. You know, it's great. So I think, um, you know, to me, uh, if you could do it that way, you should do it that way. So we end up, let's go to the next form, which, you know, is pretty cool, is when you build condos on top of it, on top of the hotel, and then, you know, reduce the basis in the condominiums later. That's a pretty cool model. You know, Millennium Partners kind of invented the modern day version, and I, I would say did. And, and um, you know, it's pretty awesome. We see that a lot in ski country because... And we could talk about this briefly, ski country, the occupancy is just never going to be higher than 65 or 70% because of the shoulder season. Um, you know, one of the good east-west lines is there will be nobody in our ski resorts in spring because spring everywhere is nice, except here where it sucks. It's muddy and cold and raining and sleeting and there's dirt everywhere and it's awful. And all the restaurants are closed. Like who wants to be here, right? So you're not renting hotel rooms then. But so you, you gotta, needed to subsidize the basis. So you got to subsidize the basis and also just a nice, nice business. I mean, you know, and that was done for a lot of five-star. I can see the four seasons Denver from here. That was an 08 project, but they managed to keep it together. And, you know, they have condos at the top and that, that, that was the same, same MO. So for the very high-end five-star, uh, particularly outside of the gateway markets, that's a good way to get to those. So that, that one we like a lot. Condominium hotels in the purest form where you sell each condominium to somebody who owns them and then they contribute it into a pool to be rented is a pretty peculiar business. Our property management company has built a fairly unique expertise in managing them a little bit out of opportunity. East West, there was a time when there were a series of Westons being built. There was one in Mammoth. East West did one. You would do the vacation club next to the condo hotel. And, and East West did one of those at the base of Beaver Creek in Avon and you know, went through the project. It slammed right into 08. My predecessor, Craig Ferraro, miraculously found four banks in Ohio willing to provide end-user financing to condominium hotel buyers. They got through it. They got it done. But when it came, that came out, there really wasn't a ton of asset value in the um, management contract. So in the condo hotel, you can own the man management contract. You might also own the condominium that is the lobby and the restaurants and the spa. And so East West, actually my dad bought it and said, I'm going to, I always believed in this hotel. He's got a great hospitality background. We're, we're going to run this hotel. And so they've worked through doing that. Yeah. And they've kind of, you know, they're getting it figured out. They got a great relationship with the HOA board. They, we keep talking about communicate, but they totally over communicate with the homeowners. They give them three-year plans of here's what, Here's what we, owner of the common common amenities, are going to be doing in spending. Here are the expectations we're going to have of you in your rooms over time because, you know, it's a hotel. It gets used, you know. 
you know, here's what we're doing with the front desk. Here's how we're trying to drive your rate. Cause in essence, they're a client. And I, I think, you know, so that's been pretty good. And I, you know, there's, there are other versions of those that you see and it's just deferred maintenance, deferred maintenance, deferred maintenance that the owners are remote. They, you know, I, I know different of a, furniture, different furniture or worse, same furniture, uh, <laughs> you know, from 40 years ago, <laughs> um, same TV. Yeah. So, you know, and, and in really great locations, right. But we're definitely not getting quality and you won't believe this as the quality has gone down at the good location, the price is also going down. You know, so I think, um, you know, that, so we've, we've gotten pretty good at that. We have a second that the company manages the Viceroy and Snowmass. And so the Western Riverfront and the Viceroy Snowmass, these things are always a little, a little weird how it happens, but they were named in the top two of the top 50 resorts in the world. So I have nothing to do with that. That's the management team. Incredible on them. Uh, we did build a second phase of, of Viceroy Snowmass, which we called Cirque. Been a great success. And actually stole a model from Auberge at Chileno Bay, where they did condos and lock-offs or you, you know, lock-offs, not a new idea. We just really liked their floor plans. So we sold them as condos. Every condo with a couple exceptions has a lock-off one bedroom uh, or studio. People do not have to contribute it. Everybody, it seems like they're at least going to contribute their lock-off. If you think about it, it's a pretty good deal for somebody who wants a condominium in the mountains that they're going to use. You don't have to be in our rental pool, you can just live there. And that's pretty cool. You, you know, you live at the top of the limelight that we did. We did condos there. That's a nice experience, right? So, you know, at Cirque, the uh, folks may ultimately live there, but you can also, you're also offsetting your cost of, you know, you're paying your dues, you know, you're paying some of your property taxes, some of your mortgage. So, uh, and then ultimately three, four, five years from now, when this gets stabilized, it can be actually profitable just like any other hotel. So, so are you setting the docks up where the folks at Cirque have to, you know, buy the furniture package every 10 years or seven years to yeah, keep the a, consistency. There's a set of standards that they have to meet to be able to be in there. Part of that is part of that is their furniture package. So there's, and then, you know, they've got some costs that are theirs and some that are, that are ours. There's a lot of ins and outs of that. I, I think that the key ones are that, we do have control of what that unit is going to look like if it's going to be in our rental pool. And I think that that's probably the most, the most important one. And do you think you charge, you were able to charge a premium because people were looking at the potential income and justifying what they could pay or no? I mean, you know, the, the problem with the problem with figuring out if you got a premium is you only sell one unit at one time in one market, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it was, I think it was very fairly priced project. We did a project, we did a lower end one, we did a higher end one, and it's, it's right in the middle. You know, it's beautiful. They get a cool new pool. They have a bar that you ski up to, which is awesome. They have their own chairlift. I, mean, I like the one on the hill. Yeah, right. The, the one on the Fanny hill. Hill. That Fanny one was hill. amazing. Over on the other side. Yeah, Fanny Hill was a cool success story. Lake Flato, the idea was it was sort of like cottages, cabins, but you're actually right in the middle of the ski resort. I, what I love most about that is they park in a garage and then they have to go outside. And everybody's like, wait, I have to go outside? And I'm like, yeah, you have to go outside. What, what, what is that? I don't even understand what that question means. <laughs> you're on a ski mountain. <laughs> you're on a ski mountain. <laughs> you came here because of the outside. <laughs> if you just wanted to get out of your garage and walk into your house, you didn't need to come here. You could have just stayed. Of course, the buyers were not concerned about it at all. And it did really well. The, the, the buyers have done really well. Those, have, a couple of them have resold it about twice what, what we sold them to for. 
Amazing. That goes back to the quality. I ask all the guests on the podcast, the same closing question. And that is out of all the hotels in the world, what is your favorite hotel? I listen for my honeymoon. We went to Petit St. Vincent, which is a 150 acre Island in the Grenadines. We got some, you know, family who had given us some money to help sponsor event and I to do that. That was an amazing, amazing hotel. And their 10 year anniversary, I was like, let's go back. And then I was like, oh no, we can't afford this. So <laughs> we, we haven't been back. The other one is another one for my wife and I is a little hotel in Belize called Cayo Espanto. Uh, it's 10, 10 homes on an island. That that one is pretty amazing. And I really, you know, I really, really love that one. The hotel that made me fall in love with hotels was probably the Soho Grand when I lived in New York. And understanding, you know, this is this is what an urban hotel looks like. I, I love that idea because we haven't changed the business actually that much since the Soho Grand opened, right? And Ian Ian was doing the stuff up the road. And then and then I, although he didn't know this, I worked for Barry on 52nd Street for the first W when I was at Merrill and something somewhere, you know, way down the Capitol stack. And so, you know, things haven't changed that much since since those days. And um those those hotels were pretty awesome. But the best hotel in the world is the one Hanalei. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Save I mean, the best it for used the to be one West Hollywood, but now it's one now it's one. The, I mean, the one, one Hanalei. Yeah, one is did. amazing. You know, one is amazing. The whole it, it's chain a, it's is a amazing. really good it's, it's so a well. really good brand and there's nothing yeah. else like it. And I think you copied my like whole little tree design that we made at the one yeah, West Hollywood. Just you did it. it better. What are you talking about? I don't, I don't know if we did it better or not. But, but well, I think yours is better because yours looked like it's growing out of the ground. It probably was eventually. It was like some tree. Oh yeah, it got. is. It's a tree that yeah. got, you know, chopped yeah. the top off and somebody local carved carved your yeah, one. That's, see, that's yeah. cool. We had to like import the thing from somewhere else. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. I'm glad you asked me to join. I hope it wasn't too much. Hey everyone, it's Jake here. Thanks again for joining me on this conversation. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Lastly, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Jay Warzak. I'll see you in the next episode. Jake Warzak is the founder and CEO of Dove Hill Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Jake and his guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Dove Hill Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not reflect or represent real estate, financial, or investment advice. Mm-hmm.